What up? And welcome back to Pound the Rock after a long summer hiatus. I'm in studio once again with Joseph Cacharo, who has been gallivanting around his motherland. Cash, it's good to have you back, man. How's it's, the summer been? It's good to be back. Summer was awesome. What's going on with you? It's a bit of a life change for you, too. Yeah, it's been an eventful summer for both of us. A little um, more bling in this uh, <laughs> podcast room today. Indeed. I got married uh, a couple weeks back, and um, it was great. I'm feeling good. And it's been a while since we spoke. A lot has happened. I mean, I guess not so much of note, but a bunch of kind of random minutiae around the league that uh, I think it'd be good for us to catch up on since uh, we haven't done this in a while. Yeah, so we did not record while I was in the mountains <laughs> and the farmland of Calabria. Yeah, do you want to just like take a minute to, to tell the audience about your trip back home and what it was like? Oh, it was awesome. So I've got uh, my parents came from Italy to Canada as kids. They had not been back since they left as immigrants as kids. So it was like 50 years since they had been there. So my mom's got like uncles and, and cousins there that some of them she literally hadn't seen since she was six years old. I had met a couple of them in the mid-90s, but for the most part, I hadn't met any of these like uncles, cousins, whatever. And I spent two weeks with them uh, basically living off their farm for two weeks in the mountains in Calabria. And it was awesome. It was a good uh, good recharging vacation. Did not get married while I was there, but uh, yeah, it was great. And I'm, I'm ready to rock now, ready ready for the 2019-20 season and all that it has to offer us. It will be here before we know it. Um, but it's been kind of a sleepy offseason, I think, after just like a crazy flurry of activity around free agency and you know a couple of blockbuster trades as well. It settled down quite a bit. But let's kind of rewind the clock a little bit because basically since, what's it been, like mid-July uh, since we were last in the studio? Late July, um, I'd say, yeah. So a bunch of stuff has happened, and I guess I'll put it to you, Cash, kind of ask you what you think was was the biggest piece of news or the most interesting piece of news uh, that you want to start off with here. I think Dwight Howard. Really? Uh, but yeah, like I, I don't think it's going to be the most impactful, but if you're just honestly asking what was maybe the thing that kind of took you back the most or yeah. like, okay, some of the extensions, and we'll get to them, maybe the timing of them surprised me a little bit in terms of just the pure news of it. That surprised me. Probably Dwight Boogie, something we'll get into. Maybe that's going to be Well, yeah, pick. I mean, those two things are yeah, related. related. But I'd, I'd say the Dwight reunion with the Lakers, I'm not surprised that he's still in the NBA or that a team took him because I did think he'd get at least one more shot. But, yeah, I am surprised it was the Lakers. And his parting with the Lakers was so um, – there was a lot of acrimony there between yeah. the two, between franchise and player – and I didn't really understand it because, like, I, I understand why people might not be the biggest Dwight Howard fans in general. Like, the casual fans, whatever, uh, you know, forget about off the court. But even on the court, some people just thought he didn't take the game seriously enough and all that. But if there's a fan base that I don't think should have had a beef with him, it actually was the Lakers. Because his one year there, he was coming off April back surgery and had himself ready to play in October and he played through a lot of pain that season and was still an all NBA center who played 76 games with that kind of like bad slash recovering back and did basically his part to try to get the Lakers to the playoffs and beyond and you know that's the year obviously Kobe to be honest that was actually my favorite Kobe season and and (laughs) unfortunately ended it with him blowing his Achilles out and that was the end of that but I think Lakers fans hate Dwight because Kobe didn't like Dwight. Right. And for them, it's just like, well, Kobe didn't like him. Well, then we hate you too, bud. Because, like, how dare you even, you know, raise yeah. one of his eyebrows? So, I don't know. It surprised me, but I also just wanted to say that, that I don't think Lakers fans have anything to hate Dwight Howard about. I actually thought he gave them a pretty good year given the circumstances. And that might have been his last truly good year in the right. NBA. And you talk about, you know, Lakers fans hated Dwight because Kobe hated Dwight. And I feel like. That's kind of been the through line of Dwight's career. Like, I don't think fans necessarily, based on their own perception of him, would have any reason to dislike Dwight, aside from the fact, like, he's been disappointing, I guess, in the back half of his career after being on, like, absolutely a Hall of Fame track through the first, you know, what, eight, nine years of his career? Like an all-time track. Absolutely. Like, you know, one of the best defensive players ever. I think he was the second best player in the world at his peak behind LeBron. Yeah, he he definitely had an MVP case for a couple of those seasons in like the late, what do you call it, the aughts? Yeah, the uh, the late aughts, (laughs) early 2010s. Early 2010s. Um, I think 
you know, fans started to turn on him when they started to get the sense that Dwight's teammates didn't like him. And the weird thing about that is Dwight doesn't seem like this kind of guy who is like a locker room cancer. I think other guys just seem to find him really annoying, which is a sort of different situation than I think you deal with, you know, with a lot of these guys who, you know, cause problems in locker rooms because their personalities are too large or they're too egotistical or, you know, they don't buy into the team concept, you know, whatever reason it happens to be like for Dwight, it just seems like people have found him annoying. And maybe there's another conversation to be had about the stuff that came out about him last year and, you know, his sexual preferences or alleged sexual preferences and whether that has colored the perception of him um, by other NBA players. I mean, I think there's maybe a lot that's gone into that, but I, you know, for for the fans and their perception of him, I think it's just been colored by what they have heard about how other players feel towards him. And if Dwight Howard is fully healthy this coming season, he can absolutely help the Lakers. Like they could use another big body. Obviously, you know, not having Demarcus Cousins now for the upcoming season, and Anthony Davis for you know his own reasons, I guess, still not really being bought into playing the five full time. They're going to need somebody to sop up minutes at center. And, like, is Dwight Howard worse than JaVale McGee at this point in time? I mean, I guess it's possible. I expect that he would be better than JaVale Same. McGee, particularly at the defensive end of the floor. He so. can still defend. He, he, when he's healthy, he's still an elite rebounder, mm-hmm. if nothing else. Yeah, and I think, you know, he can still be a very solid post defender and, you know, maybe not the rim protector that he was even three or four years ago, but uh, somebody who can be a deterrent, I think in the paint, and even if he's giving you 15, 20 minutes a game, I think that's a pretty decent option for them, uh, given their dearth of reliable big men. Yeah. What What would your answer to the question? Like You asked me what surprised me the most while we were away. What's yours? Um, I mean, I don't know about surprise, but I'm just... The extensions did interest me, uh, all kind of for their own reasons, but I just feel like... I don't know... Maybe I'm just remembering wrong, and this is like recency bias, but it seems like there have been more of these high-profile extensions this offseason than there have been in the past. And I kind of wonder why that is, and maybe it's just circumstantial. You know, Draymond Green, say, like he kind of seems to be entering a decline phase of his career. And so for him, it just made sense to lock that in now. Uh, and with Karis LeVert, you know, he has this checkered injury history, so it made sense for him to, to extend now. And, like, McCollum, I think it made perfect sense for him because he's basically getting the max for three additional years. But I think and, – and McCollum wasn't going to be a free agent next year anyway, but for the guys that were, and Draymond in particular, I think it must have been pretty tempting – to ride it out for a year and enter next year's miserable free agent class as a headliner. Because, you know, you're looking around the league and there's going to be... I mean, there are not a ton of teams that are going to have max cap room, but five or six of them will. And if you are, you know, one of the two or three guys on the market who can realistically stake a claim to being one of those max players, I think there's something to be said for being a headliner in in a barren free agent class rather than, uh, you know, taking the guaranteed money now. But, you know, for all the reasons that we talked about throughout last season and um, and this offseason as well, I mean, for, for Draymond, I don't know. I don't know that he was going to get that kind of money from any team. I think there is certainly a perception that outside of that warrior system, like, is he going to be as valuable to another team as he would be to Golden State? And I mean, just for him personally, I, he probably really likes where he's at. Uh, you know, that that is where he's been his entire career. That's where he's built his reputation and his resume. Uh, and he's a perfect fit alongside Steph Curry. So why not do that for another four years? And he's making $25 million per season. I mean, that's not chump change. Yeah. So, um, But I guess in general, I just, I did not expect to see this many extensions. And obviously, you know, there's one big one that's still hanging out there, which is the Bradley Beal extension offer that I don't expect him to sign. He has until October 21st to sign it. But I guess with Karis LeVert, like, that's the one that I feel like has a chance to really turn into a home run uh, for the team that signed it. And for LeVert, I understand why he wanted to lock in that certainty given you know the multiple foot injuries that he had in college, obviously the ankle injury that he dealt with last year. In fact, he's only played, I think, 160-something games through three NBA seasons. 
But in the playoffs last year, like he, he looked like an absolute star in the making. And he was, he was the best player on the Nets in the playoffs. Uh, and he looked like that at the start of the season, too. It was really just the lull in the middle of the year when he was coming back from that injury when he, when he didn't look like a, you know, an emerging star. So to me, like that could turn into a huge bargain. Three years, $52 million, um, And a chance for him to have a huge season, too, with Durant out. And, and really kind of take the reins. I mean, like, Kyrie is there, and he's a ball-dominant player, but, like, this is a big season for Levert. So. Yeah, and he can carve out a nice role for himself for when Durant returns, too. Now, obviously, it wouldn't be as primary or a secondary role, but if he has the year that I think both of us envision he can, um, maybe playing the Robin to Kyrie's Batman this season, then I think he'll have earned some, you know... NBA street cred, per se, uh, if you want to say it like that. And and when KD comes back, Levert could be that third guy and like an emerging third star to have on that team. Yeah, the Levert thing, I agree with you. I think that's going to be a home run for the Nets. Um, the CJ McCollum one, no-brainer. It's max money for three years. And I think it makes sense for Portland, too. You like, We talked so many times about the floor that the Dame and CJ yeah. combo gives you. They've locked that floor up for the next few years, right? So that's huge. The one you mentioned, Draymond, that one actually did surprise me. From Draymond's end or from the Warriors' end? A a little bit more from the Warriors' end. Because I I agree with you that he's worth more to the Warriors than he would be to any other franchise, both as a, like in pure basketball terms, but even just emotionally. And so I don't think, even though in this climate, $25 million a year isn't absurd, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that a year from now, there would have been a lineup of teams ready to give Draymond Green $25 million because I just don't know if any other team would value the things that he brings to the Warriors the way the Warriors do. And you mentioned he is a player in decline. Now look, in terms of like non-Warriors fans or neutral fans, observers, you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy who admires Draymond Green's game and impact on the game as much as I do. And I'm all on board with him being a 16-game player, not an A2. Like, I understand his value. I really do. Yeah. But I just... I don't think there would have been a lineup of teams ready to give Draymond Green $25 million a year a year from now. And so I think the Warriors kind of jumped the gun there a bit. I think maybe from their perspective, it was maybe a little bit of just kind of goodwill. You know, like you've been a good soldier for us for a long time. Um, We want you to be a warrior for life or at least close to it. How can we do that? Yeah, to me, that was a great piece of business for them. And And I think, you know, maybe the last year or two of that contract looks kind of ugly. But I think on the front end, they're going to be getting surplus value. And for them, I just think locking him in and not having to do it at the max and giving themselves a little bit more financial flexibility than they might otherwise have had is really important. And he's just been such... Like, he's been the backbone, I think, of those teams in a lot of ways. The heart and soul of them. So... I think they like that's an absolute no-brainer for the Warriors and and for Draymond. I think it makes sense for all the reasons I I mentioned, but also he might come to regret that. I mean, like, and and one thing for me, like I was just really looking forward to seeing him in a contract year, and I and, and a season not only when you know he has a, a payday waiting for him potentially at the end of the year, but one when he and the Warriors have so much to prove, and they still do. And maybe we still will see Draymond kind of revert back to 2015-16, go all out, balls to the wall every single night. I hope we do because that was you know one of my favorite seasons for a team or a player ever. And we we saw it from him literally in these playoffs and in like the last 15 games of this regular season when right. he had gotten himself back in shape. Yeah, so you know I was kind of looking forward to seeing that, but and maybe we'll see it from him anyway. Um, but but the combination of him being in a contract year and and personally having a lot to prove while also you know having the Warriors have so much to prove, I thought was just like a really interesting mix that I was looking forward to watching. But I think good for him for locking down you know basically a hundred million dollars over the next four years, and, and good for the Warriors for locking him up. Uh, what about the Eric Gordon extension? What do you make of that? Three years, fifty-four million, with a fourth-year non-guarantee at twenty-one million dollars if. The Rockets win a championship or Eric Gordon makes an all-star team. And I will say, I think the championship is far more likely yeah. than Eric, Eric Gordon Gordon's making not an all-star, making team, an all-star in the team in the Western Conference. That's not happening. Um, I thought I thought it might have been a slight overpay. Again, like I, Eric Gordon's valuable. He's... Uh, He's, val- he's valuable to, to the, the Rockets. Rockets. Yes, he's turned himself into a very valuable player for the Houston Rockets. And he's been a big part of what they've done the last couple of years. 
but again, it's just like when I when I look at that money, and I understand like right now in this climate, it doesn't seem that bad. But yeah, when you are projecting it like a couple years down the the line, I I just I don't think they needed to do this, you know. Uh huh. I mean that I guess that's my knock on it, but yeah. I mean, I, there's also an argument for being proactive, right? And yeah, and I think I mean, look, they are locked into Harden and Westbrook for the next four years as it is. It, it's not like they're going to have the financial and, and Capella as well, right? Who I guess you know they they maybe tried to shop last season and might continue to try to shop, but like they're not going to have this financial flexibility to go out and chase free agents. Like th- their means of improving their roster are through trades, which uh, they're kind of running out of ways to to make those trades now that they've given up all this draft capital to get Westbrook in the door, and by re-signing their own guys, and so. You know, they were looking at basically entering next offseason with an option. Like, do you want to use your bird rights to bring Eric Gordon back? Or do you want to let him walk and try and find somebody else at, like, the taxpayer's mid-level, basically? And I I think this is a fine piece of business for them. I, don't, I, I think it's maybe a slight overpay, but not a huge one. And again, this is another case where I just feel like Eric Gordon's value to the Rockets is, is higher than it might have been elsewhere. So even if they went over market to retain him, I think it makes sense for them. They don't really have anybody else outside of obviously Westbrook and Harden, and maybe they don't need anybody other than those two guys to handle the ball because they handle the ball so much. But I think it's nice having a secondary ball handler. I don't know how often we're going to see those three guys play together. That's a pretty small look, um, and I guess in that case you're sliding Gordon up to the three, which defensively might be a bit of an issue. But uh, just to be like basically to have Gordon coming off the bench as a guy who can play on or off the ball give you some secondary playmaking. I think he's proven to be really valuable in that role for the Rockets, and I think he's been a, an excellent fit there. So I think it makes sense for the Rockets to bring him back, and he fits within their window. Like, they, they're giving themselves... This is four years now when they're going to have Harden, Gordon, Westbrook, and potentially Capella, and say, look, this is we know exactly what our window is. Here it is, and maybe they've extended it by, by swapping out Chris Paul for Westbrook, a guy who's a little bit younger and more durable. And I think they can look at that now and say, you know, this is our chance. We, we have these four years to go and try and win a championship. And, and to have Gordon there for those four years is going to improve their chances of doing so. Yeah. I'm going to say that if, there, if that foursomes together more than two years, I'll be shocked. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so I don't think, you know, Westbrook's I don't, not going to be tradable, I don't think. I mean, unless you're willing to attach assets. Like, they gave up assets to get him, but obviously they were trading out one sort of cumbersome contract for another and and they were doing so for a guy who's what four years younger so going forward i don't think they're i don't think they're going to really have any means of trading westbrook so i'm going to say he's there hard to imagine them trading harden i mean unless the the westbrook harden thing really blows up and they realize they need to trade one of those guys and they decide Trading Westbrook is not going to be worth it because we're not going to get anything back and we maybe have to attach assets to do it. Trading Harden could get us a huge haul to build for the future. Then I guess I could see it, but I don't know. My, my assumption would be that those two guys will be there. So you're looking at Gordon and or Capella as, as the kind of trade chips that they might be yeah. able to ship out. And they're on tradable contracts. I mean, I think Gordon may be a little bit more so than Capella just because to me, like the replacement level for bigs is so much higher than it is for. I, I don't know that I would call Gordon a wing, but a guard who has a little bit of size, you know, who can handle the ball and who can shoot. Like I think that's a rarer commodity than a rim running big in Capella, who is making seventeen million dollars a year. Yeah, and we have seen as good as Capella has been, we have seen him rendered uh, useless. Might be too strong of a word, but we've seen him rendered a lot less useful in the playoffs 100%. now a couple of years in a row talking about the championship windows or the last no i guess on the extensions back to the draymond and the warriors i do think it's interesting that you know around the time the finals was ending when you had um kd hurt and going into free agency you had clay hurt and going into free agency you had draymond a year away from free agency a lot of people did um start digging that grave of the warriors championship window right and i do obviously kd left and that's a big blow and clay is still hurt for most of this season, but they re-signed Clay and they re-signed Draymond. And now all of a sudden you're looking at a situation where Steph, Clay, and Draymond are all under contract through at least 2022. And it's just like, man, 
a lot of people buried the Warriors, and on paper, they are still very much in not just the mix in the West, but very much in the championship mix. Like, they get Clay back healthy going into this playoffs, they'll be in the mix. And if the, all those three of those guys stay healthy another couple of years, like, they are far from done as a contender. I do think this Clay thing has been glossed over a little bit, and people are throwing out this when Clay gets back, if Clay comes back healthy, and. To me, that's a bigger if than people are making it out to be. Even though Clay has proven to be, you know, exceptionally durable, his recoveries from injuries have been rapid and phenomenal, and like his ability to play through injuries has been incredible. Something about his body obviously seems a little bit more resistant to this stuff than other players' bodies are. But a torn ACL is—I don't know if it rises to the level of like a torn Achilles, but it is one of the more devastating injuries that you can suffer in terms of how it just sort of interrupts the trajectory of your athletic peak. And I don't think we can say with any measure of certainty that he's going to come back and be the same player. And I know his game isn't totally predicated on, you know, raw athleticism, but like so much of it is his ability to kind of change directions, his off-ball movement, and, you know, the lift that he gets on his jump shot, like... The whole kinetic chain, I think, like if that slows down even a little bit, that can have a huge impact on any player's game. Uh, and also defensively, you know, his ability to slide laterally and, and stay in front of guys. Like, I don't know what he's going to look like when he comes back, but I don't think just penciling him in as being like the same guy when he does come back is, uh, you know, necessarily the right approach. Well, I, th- I think that's a good way to segue then to DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> okay. Um, now, obviously, there's a lot more complicated things happening with him yeah. off the court that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I don't think we necessarily have to get into them. We other can than, get into them. I mean, other than to say, like, if, you know, if the allegations are proven correct, he's... I mean, there's a recording. Like, Yeah. We can talk about that in a sec. But I, sorry, I didn't mean proven correct. I meant if he's, you know, eventually found guilty of the charge. We, I don't think he's turned himself in yet. I don't think he has um, either. You know, there, there's going to be legal ramifications for him. But I meant more so, like, we were talking about Clay and a devastating injury for a basketball player and whether he can get back to what he was offensively, defensively. DeMarcus Cousins has had now, what, three devastating injuries for a basketball player in the span of less than three years? Blew his Achilles out. Tore his quad, I believe. Yeah. And now... And now... Tore his ACL. Tore his ACL, yeah. Um, all in the same leg. So. All in the same leg. So, you know, putting aside the obviously very disturbing and bad things uh it seems like he's done off the court just in terms of basketball like this is something you asked yesterday when we were prepping for the pod does demarcus cousins play in the nba again and if he like is can he even make an impact in the nba when he gets back like yeah i don't i am kind of leaning towards no which seems insane just you know given where he was at in like the nba pecking order as recently as 18 or 20 months ago, you know, when he when he suffered that Achilles injury as a member of the Pelicans. And it sort of goes back to what I was saying about Capella. Like, there are just so many big men in the league who can give you competent production at that position. The replacement level at that position is so high. And there are a few things that you need to be able to do in order to hold down a job as an NBA big man. And, and mobility has increasingly become a big part of it. The speed of the game... Um, such that it is, you know, in this day and age. Like, I don't know that Cousins, who already looked pretty ragged coming back from that Achilles injury last year, add on to that at a torn ACL. And obviously, you know, he's not the most svelte of big men as it is. I think it's going to be really tough for him to carve out a role. And maybe, like, you know, if he does come back, I assume that it's going to be as a backup. Like, I, don't, I think his days as a starting big man are probably done. They might have already been done, like yeah. before the ACL injury. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Like another year removed from that from that Achilles, maybe it would have been a different story. I mean, he would have certainly had a chance to start with the Lakers. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, I just it's going to be really, really tough for him to make it back from this, and I guess we'll have to see. I mean, uh, like we'll see what John Wall looks like when he comes back because he's basically had the same spate of injuries, and there's a guy who again has you know relied so much on his athleticism and and when that is not there anymore like what kind of player is he going to be i think that'll be maybe an interesting litmus test 
Uh, obviously, physically, like his proportions are much different than Cousins, but also he's asked to do a bunch of different things. And like Cousins, at the least, is still going to be extremely large, strong, have good footwork, have nice touch, be a good passer. He's, his skills aren't going to go away necessarily. It's just a question of whether he can physically keep up with the game around him. And, you know, that's, and I don't want to sweep this other stuff under the rug. Yeah. Right? Like, and I didn't mean to do that either. I was just, yeah, no, I just, like I was it, saying, even without the like yeah. horrible legal right. issues, just basketball wise, he might be done anyway. Yeah. And so we can, you know, there's a recording of him basically, he got married, what, a week ago? A couple weeks ago, yeah. And, wanted his his son to be at the wedding and his ex-girlfriend and the mother of his child was apparently you know not going to allow his son to be at the wedding and there's a recording of of demarcus cousins saying that he would put a bullet in his ex-girlfriend's head which is obviously an insane and very serious threat you know whether he meant it literally or not like that that is messed up and you know justifiably there's been a warrant put out for his arrest and I don't, this isn't the kind of thing to me like that won't, unfortunately, that won't ultimately get swept under the rug and would prevent him from having an NBA job in the future. Like Derek Rose is still employed by the NBA. Jason Kidd is still employed by the NBA. And part of the allegation also from his ex-girlfriend was that he had choked her in the past. So that's a different story. But I just, this hasn't proven to be the kind of thing in the past that would prevent a team from signing him, taking a flyer on him in the future. But the combination of his sort of eroding physical abilities because of these injuries and the character concerns might make any team a little bit, you know, that much more hesitant to, to sign him in the future. And it's just, these things start to pile up and maybe, you know, one of them is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And I honestly, if I had to guess right now, I would say that we don't see him play in the NBA again, as crazy as that is to say. What do you think? I think, I think he probably gets one more shot. When this recovery's done, when you know they figure out legally what's going on, I could see a team giving him like a minimum contract and him starting the season somewhere, whether that's next year or two years from now, I don't know, and and probably not even lasting the season. Um, so I don't think we've seen the last of him, but I think we've just about seen the last of him. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also encourage you to check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For Soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone tackles, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, please download The Score app, which is available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Let's go back to that extension stuff really quickly and, and talk about the Beal extension offer. Three years, $111 million. That's the, the most that the Wizards could have offered. Beal hasn't signed it. I don't think he's going to. Uh, he has more or less said the right things about wanting to see how the process plays out. He hasn't demanded a trade or requested a trade for all that we know and there you know the wizards basically promoted tommy shepherd internally he was he had an interim tag on him and and he no longer does he's their full-time gm and i think for him like this is quite a, a fire to be thrown into right away to have to make a decision on this and you, and you don't want the first thing that you do as a team's general manager to be trade in the face of the franchise but I think it's going to get to a point where his hands are going to be tied. And if Beal doesn't sign that extension, they go into the season with him still on the roster. I think they're going to have to be exploring trade options pretty much right off the bat. Yeah, and and I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. I just So Beal, the extension they gave him was the maximum they can give him in an extension right now. And it would bring the total life of his contract to five years, I believe, because he's got two left on and they can tack three extra on. If you're Bradley Beal, you're... You're already an all-star, but you're still a rising star. Like, he's getting better. Um, you know, we can argue whether he can ever reach true superstar status, but I, I'd say he's knocking on that door, and he's still pretty young. He can make more money in the long run waiting this out and signing max mo- and getting max money later. And I understand, as usual, there's the usual risk, but what if he gets injured? Like, I, again, I just think he's starting to knock on that door where not that an injury wouldn't matter, but it almost wouldn't matter. You know, he's like one good, great season, another great season away from being in that class. So if I'm him, like, why? there's no rush. 
to get this done, especially when the Wizards' future is as murky as it is, right? Like, there's no reason. I understand Tommy Shepard himself has not even been on the job as the full-time GM for a full season, but there's no reason to trust the Wizards as an organization, record label, or as a whole MFing crew, okay? <laughs> um, so, yeah, if I'm Bradley Beal, I just, I, there's no rush to get this done. I understand why the Wizards want to lock him up, you know, as a player and as an Do asset. Do you, though? Because, yeah. I don't know, man. I, like, I guess... He, do you think he would be more tradable with this extension tacked but on? Even as a talent, I think, you know, I'm a big believer. I've said it before. And just like, even if you're a rebuilding team, you have like a young star, you're going to trade this guy away and then hope that you land someone in the draft that is 80% as good as he is. Like, no, but it's, it's not really about that at this point. Like, yeah, the, the odds of getting somebody back in a Bradley Beal trade that proved to be as good as Bradley Beal are slim. Like, those are just the stats. But the point is you're kind of coming to the end of the road here. He's got one season left on his deal after this one. You're not going to do anything meaningful in those two seasons. You pretty much know that. And if he doesn't sign this extension, I think that's a pretty clear sign that he's not going to resign right. when he becomes a free agent. So... I, I'm I'm not I'm agree that they should trade him in those certain. I'm saying it makes sense to me why they're trying to lock him up, like why they're at least trying to keep this talent there long term, because right. he could be the face of the next good Wizards team. He could be. He's young enough. Yeah. And I think that is what is going to make him such an appealing trade asset. Is like he could be appealing to a rebuilding team or a win now team. Like any team would be happy to have Bradley Beal. I think in the fold. So that to me, like is the perfect reason why the Wizards should be looking to trade him now because I, I think his trade value is probably sky high. They're not going to get quite the return that the Thunder got for Paul George, but I don't think it's that far out outside the ballpark. You know what wow. I mean? Like, like Paul George coming off of two shoulder surgeries is a couple years older, obviously a far superior defensive player, but offensively, I don't think he's that far ahead of where Bradley Beal is. And, and Beal, I think, is just like been on this upward trajectory where he's improving every season, adding a little bit more to his game every year, has proven, I think, you know, maybe he's not going to be a 1A guy for a championship caliber team, but, you know, could he be a 1B guy or a number two guy? Absolutely. And, you know, defensively, I think he's better than what he showed last season. And if you put him on a competitive team, I think you're going to see a lot of improvement at that end of the floor as well. So I think just given his age, where he's at on his development curve, how much he's improved over the last few years, and the fact that by all accounts he seems to be, you know, a really good character guy. I think there are a lot of teams that will be willing to give up a lot to get him. Oh, I, I, 100%. The only reason that I think it won't touch that Paul George level is because the big difference is that the team trading for Bradley Beal would not then be guaranteed Kawhi Leonard, right? And that mm -hmm. was part of the package for Paul George was essentially the Clippers understanding that that making that move as tough as it probably was a, a pill to swallow giving up all those assets and Shea yeah. Gilchrist-Alexander it also meant a, basically a guarantee that Kawhi was coming right so it was almost like even though they weren't trading for Kawhi they kind of were as well right yeah so I don't know it's tough I guess because there was a while when these players in I think Beal's stratosphere were getting traded for what seemed like minimal return. Paul George being one of them the first time around when, you know, until we found out what Oladipo and Sabonis were going to turn into, seemed like a pretty underwhelming return. You look at the Jimmy Butler return, the DeMarcus Cousins return. All these guys, I mean, even Kyrie Irving, these guys, you know, with one or sometimes even two years left on their deals were getting traded for what seemed like pennies on the dollar. And it's only in like the last year or so that these superstar trades have, have begotten huge returns and I think those are maybe just situation specific the desperation that the Lakers had to acquire Anthony Davis and you know similarly for the Clippers you know they basically handed this leverage to the Thunder the Thunder might not otherwise have had is there going to be another team that finds itself in that spot where they decide they just need to acquire Bradley Beal at any cost I don't know maybe you're right and maybe they won't um, but to me I just think how much higher can his trade value climb? As he comes closer to the end of his contract, I think with two years left on his deal at his age, they'd be selling really high on him now. And I don't know. I don't know what kind of offers are out there for him, but I know that if he doesn't sign that extension, the clock is going to start to tick. 
Yeah, and Bradley Beal, like, in most years, Bradley Beal could swing a playoff race or a title race. But he'd still be, obviously, like, a caliber below the type of players like, you know, Kawhi Leonard going mm-hmm. to Toronto that truly changed the complexion of a season. But this year, in this, you know, wide-open race yeah. where there's no clear-cut favorite, like, a talent like Bradley Beal... Like, joined, really, the, Den- the Denver Nuggets? Exactly. Yeah. A, a talent like Beal joining an already good team that's a quasi-contender, like... This year, more than any other, uh, a guy like Beal being on the trade block could truly, truly change the complexion of an entire season and an entire franchise's fortunes. Yeah, so that's, you know, to me, another reason why the, the Wizards' leverage is in a pretty good spot. Um, but, yeah, it's just a question of, of where they see this thing headed and, and whether they prefer to have Beal around for the long term or whether they think it's just, like, kind of come to the end of the road and it's time to blow it up. But anyway... I think my big takeaway like about these extensions is like next year's free agent class as weak Trash. as it, as weak as it was already looking is really I mean Anthony Davis we assume is going to resign with the Lakers. I think we've talked about this in the past it's certainly not ironclad and we've learned over the past couple of years not to expect anything. But he's probably going to resign with the Lakers just based on everything it took to get him there in the first place. And then, who is the headliner of next year's free agent class? Who is the best player in that class? Man. Is it Kyle Lowry? It might be Kyle Lowry. But that, that's the thing. Like, the headliners would be an aging and or former All-Star. Like, there's no clear-cut, like, franchise changer. I don't know if there's a clear-cut, like, number two player on a championship team. Yeah. In that class. Like, you can already, like, Kyle Lowry probably is that, but will he be that a year from now? I don't know. Like... It's a terrible free agent class, especially in the shadow of what we just witnessed in 2019 free agency, which was just a, a and what gong we're going show. to witness in 2021. Right, assuming that those players don't also right. extensions. Yeah, that Giannis change. is the big domino there. Right, and McCollum's one of those guys right. who slated to be a free agent in 2021 already extended. Bradley Beal could be another one of those guys who extends. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this free agent class for next year, and it is like. Man, Otto Porter, uh, DeMar DeRozan, Gordon Hayward potentially if he decides to opt out, which I don't think he will. So I can't even keep even a straight face while we're bringing Gordon Hayward up. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it is like it's barren. Yeah, uh, bad. So I don't know. It, I, obviously, I think next off is going to look a lot different than this off season did. Maybe. Maybe next offseason is all about the trade market, next, not necessarily about the free agent market. Next summer's Pound the Rock hiatus can literally take place during free agency because <laughs> nothing meaningful is going to happen. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't speak too soon on that front because, again, like the trade market can change right. a lot of things. But, yeah, I mean, even going back further to like the rookie extensions that got handed out, Jamal Murray and Ben Simmons are now locked up long-term with their teams. Pascal Siakam is the one guy who is going to be a restricted free agent, hasn't gotten an extension offer that we know of. My guess would be one way or another, he's staying with the Raptors long-term, whether he signs that extension before this coming season starts or whether he just gets, you know, a max or a near max deal as an RFA next summer. I don't expect him to be going anywhere. So I think he's getting max money. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I think there's probably some sort of a handshake deal between him and Masai Ujiri at this point in time that if he doesn't get that that max extension now, uh, that he's going to get it uh, next summer. Because I think for the Raptors, they have a ton of money coming off their books after this season. I mean, maybe it won't end up mattering because <laughs> this free agent class coming up is so weak. But I guess you, you prefer to have the small cap hold with $7 million for Siakam have that cap hold on the books rather than, you know, what would be $28, $30 million. And if the Raptors want to be the players that they want to be in the 2021 free agent class, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I think it's a lot easier to make that pitch Mm -hmm. with Pascal Siakam locked in than, you know, with a completely clean slate of nobody. Yeah, no, I mean, they're going to end up locking him in. I think it's just a question of when. And... um, I mean, they uh, next year's free agent class. Like, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of Raptors at the top of that list, from uh, Lowry to Ibaka yeah. to Gasol. 
to like even Fred Van Vliet. If yeah, you know oh, yeah. Van Vliet looks more like the player we saw in the conference finals and finals and a year and a half ago, as opposed to the player that he was for most of this past season. That guy's going to get paid in a week free agent class. A hundred percent. And yeah, I mean the the Raptors going into next off season. Actually, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but they might be the most interesting team in the league because again, like you said, they want to keep their books clean. I think for twenty twenty one. But they got to have some sort of infrastructure in place before that. Do they try and bring Lowry back on a one or two year deal? Uh, compromise some of that space? Do they try and you know bring back Ibaka, Gasol, Van Vliet? They're going to have some really interesting and difficult decisions to make, I think, next summer. But let's change gears a little bit here. There has been some basketball being played, not NBA basketball, but international basketball. You have any thoughts on FIBA so far? I haven't watched a ton of of the World Cup. I saw Lithuania whip Canada. I saw a little bit of the States-Turkey game. I've watched Serbia play. Serbia, in the limited action I've seen, and then with highlights and like trying to dig up on box scores and stats and stuff, Serbia's been the most impressive team in the tournament maybe so far. And I think um, in a year where the States have sent their D team and looked vulnerable against Turkey, uh, in a year where Canada, who should have been the second best team at this tournament, is already out because... Canada basketball, as usual, going through what Canada basketball goes through with commitments. Um, yeah, I think like a team like Serbia could absolutely win this thing. And, and that's about the end of my thoughts on the <laughs> FIBA World Cup, which, which actually is a shame because I was actually looking forward to this tournament all year. I was looking mm-hmm. forward to like basketball's World Cup maybe being more meaningful than ever. Uh, the NBA seemed to be more involved than ever. It's in China, you know, big following there. I figured the U.S. would have at least some star power there. I thought Canada would be fielding their best team ever. And instead, it just, it seems like really disappointing. And I don't know, maybe that's because we're sitting here in Canada and, and the coverage here hasn't been the same as it would have been had guys like Baird and Wiggins play. But I yeah. think in general, even even in the States, it doesn't seem like people are that I think jazzed can, up about a Kemba Walker-led Team no. USA. I think we can just tell it like it is, which is that people don't care about international basketball. and that Outside is, of Europe. Okay, yes, you're absolutely right, and that's an important qualifier. Like, in North America, it's just not a big thing, and, and that is reflected in the players that have chosen not to play in this tournament and, you know, players who have chosen not to play in the Olympics in the past. Like, it's just not really a big deal to them, and I don't know what it's going to take for that to change. I mean, to me, it just it starts with the players, right? If the players decide that this is important, that this matters to them, then I think the fan interest will follow. But it's just a difficult balancing act. And you can see why, like with, you know, Jason Tatum basically spraining his ankle at the end of that Turkey game. Fortunately, it seems like that's not going to be a particularly serious injury, but that's exactly the reason I think that players are scared to participate in an event like this so close to an NBA season is like, we know where their priorities lie. And, you know, for them to suffer an injury in international competition that might compromise an NBA season is something that they're not willing to risk. Well, did you see the exchange between Devin Booker and Bill Simmons I did, on Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> where uh, Bill Simmons has been chirping like a guy like Devin Booker about why he wouldn't want to get the yeah. experience of playing for Team USA and whatever. And then I, when Bill Simmons tweeted, oh my God, Tatum got hurt, Devin Booker quote tweeted it with prayers up. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think that pretty much sums it up right there. And, and that is more or less the reason, I think, that these guys would prefer not to participate. At the same time, you could say, like, look, you know, DeMarcus Cousins tore his ACL in just like a light midsummer practice. Like, the, these sort of things can happen in any circumstance. And ultimately, you do have to play and do some preparation to get ready for the season. So... I don't know. You know, you can kind of look at it any which way, I suppose. But, like, what happened to Paul George a few years back? And, again, just like a – that was a light scrimmage with Team USA. So, sometimes these things just aren't really within your control. But I think just the prospect of potentially getting injured or some other way that participating in international play might compromise an NBA season is just – you know – the scales are not balanced here, and that's fine, I guess. Uh, it just means that I can only speak for myself, but it, it deadens my interest. Like, I haven't paid yeah. a whole lot of attention to FIBA. Part of that is because I've been, like, in tennis Getting world. married? Oh. <laughs> Getting married, but also just, like, uh, like, covering tennis for the last month or so. And 
you know, the, the FIBA tournament just doesn't really move the needle for me compared to like the U.S. Open. Uh, that's me. But I think not seeing the kind of star talent uh, that you might hope to see in this tournament certainly, even if even if it makes the competition a little bit more balanced. If you want to talk about like what the U.S. team looks like and how that makes the tournament a little bit more wide open, maybe that makes it more interesting. But I don't know. At the same time, I just think to see that so many players don't really care that much about the tournament kind of has a trickle-down effect. Big time. Big time. Anything else you got on your mind? Uh, not really. I mean, the, like, I guess I'm kind of tired of talking about Carmelo Anthony. And I don't know. It, just, it doesn't seem like he's going to get a job. But there's the, the latest report from Sean Devini is that Anthony's camp is aggressively trying to fight the perception <laughs> of Carmelo as somebody who is going to be a, a toxic presence for any team that tries to sign him. And, you know, the source that talked to Devaney for the story said that he's been a scapegoat for teams that didn't play up to their potential. And Melo's camp is trying to show teams that he can play, that, you know, the negative reputation was stuff that other teams have projected onto him. I don't particularly think that that's going to work. Like, yeah. look... The, <laughs> I don't even... I want to, like, ignore any locker room stuff. Like, I don't even want to talk about whether his insistence on playing a certain type of way or on starting versus coming off of the bench or his inability to come to terms with the fact that he might just be a role player at this point in time. Forget all that. Is Carmelo Anthony good enough to deserve an NBA job this coming season? I mean, like, is he good enough to play in the NBA? Maybe. But... Is he good enough to say, like, it's a travesty that I don't have a contract offer? Like, I think there are players who are better than Melo who don't have contracts right now. And I think the problem is, like, it's not... To me, it's not really about what he is or isn't willing to do. It's that the areas of his game in which he was always deficient, I think he was able to paper over those when he was an elite scorer. When, when the skills that he did have were at the very tippy-top of the NBA. And now, like, that he isn't an efficient scorer, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of thinking that he maybe just isn't good enough at this point. Yeah, but see, that, that's why I think it is important to consider, like, what he is and isn't willing to accept as an NBA player because, like, Melo's best skills, you know, like, if Melo is a 12 to 15 minute a game guy who could come in and operate against bench units... I think Melo, Melo could be a pretty good bench scorer mm-hmm. if he operated more as a spot-up guy and was no longer like a one-on-one. Like I, I, I think there would be value for him there. Now, not value as a starter, not value as anywhere near the best player. On but the he hasn't team. really. He hasn't been good as a spot-up guy. Well, like, that he see, hasn't now, shot the ball very well. Yeah, the last couple of years, his shooting has definitely dipped. I'm just saying that I still think there are skills within there that in in a role that most guys at his age with his diminishing skills would accept. I mm-hmm. do think there's a role he could carve out there. Not for another five years, but another year for sure. And the fact that he didn't seem willing to accept that is a big part of why he doesn't have a job and why it seems like maybe he just isn't good enough anymore. And look, were there Rockets fans and maybe Thunder fans and maybe some people in the Houston and OKC media who put too much of those teams' failures on Melo? Sure. You know, he didn't deserve all of the blame, even for the way the Rockets started the season. But... You know, let's not pretend like Melo was playing great basketball for either team and was unjustly, you know, saddled with some of the blame. His last two seasons, his shooting line is 40, 35, 76. Yeah. That's below average, right? And well well below average, and it's a guy who takes a lot of shots. Like, that's just not good efficiency for a guy whose only value on the floor is scoring the basketball. So... You know, say what you will about maybe not being as big a part of the problem as everyone made it out to be. You were part of the problem. You did not play anywhere near your best for either of those two teams who both were disappointing with you on the court. And it did not help that you started the year in OKC literally laughing at a reporter asking you about whether you would accept coming off the bench. It didn't help that if you remember that playoff game when OKC made that crazy comeback with Melo on the bench, their camera caught him a couple times. See, we weren't there. Like, we don't know what was said. It sure as hell looked like Melo was trying to get back in the game. Like, mm-hmm. those things did not help. And and so I just think it's it's pretty naive now for his reps to reportedly be out there, you know, trying to 
trying to make it seem like Mello was this scapegoat or some victim of like the media or the fans' crusade because that was not what it was. Yeah, 50.3% true shooting with the Thunder, 51.3% with the Rockets last year. And for a guy who doesn't play defense, that's just not going to cut it. And even if, like, let's take this hypothetical where he does buy into this role where he's coming off the bench playing, you know, 12 to 15 minutes as a spot-up guy, isn't dominating the ball, is maybe recommitting at the defensive end of the floor, okay? What what sort of team is rolling the dice on him at this point? Because if it's a kind of young rebuilding team, I think they'd rather be giving those minutes to somebody else, somebody younger who they can develop. And if it's a contending team, I just don't think that he's worth it. I think that they can probably find better options to come off the bench and, and soak up those minutes. If you are a contending team, like your bench scorer, I think, needs to be more efficient than that. Otherwise, you're looking for somebody who can defend and hit threes, neither of which Melo has really proven capable of. So that's, that's the problem as I see it. Like I just don't think his skill set, where it's at right now, is, is a fit with any team in the league. Is there is there one team that you think if it's going to happen here's where he's going to end up? I feel like Miami maybe, especially if like Chris Paul gets there. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of teams that have like really thin benches uh, that could really use the scoring. Honestly, like the Raptors maybe. The Raptors do not have any offense off of their bench, and especially given. Like, Fred Van Vliet might slide into the starting lineup for a bunch of games this season because as of now, it's looking like Norman Powell is going to be the starting two, which could get ugly, potentially. Like, their their bench is... I don't know who's providing any offense off of that bench. It's like Matt, Stanley Johnson. Matt Thomas. <laughs> Matt Thomas, Rondé Hollis, Jefferson. Um, yeah, I don't know. But, again, like, I just, I, I just don't see it. I, I just think there are better options. And, un- unfortunately, like, in his prime, he was one of my favorites to watch. I just... Unfortunately, I like I, I just don't think that he's good enough. So that's where it is. Yep, agreed. Anyway, it's been great to catch up with you again, man. It's, it's been, been great. far too long, but uh, I think we've both come back rejuvenated yeah. and ready to get back into uh, one episode a week swing and and ramp up to the NBA season. So for Joseph Cacharo, I'm Joe Wolfon. We'll talk to you soon.